Freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom, like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome, one and all. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening right here on the Intel Hub News Network. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Today is Tuesday, December 14th, 2010. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. The network's website, theintelhubnewsnetwork.com. We have a good show lined up for you here today. I'm going to be continuing our discussion of religion particularly religion as astrotheology and as a methodology of mind control in our ongoing series on mind control in which we are going to discuss a total of 14 overall methods of manipulation. I have a few event announcements in the area that I'm going to read and then I'm going to give the call in numbers and then we could jump right in. So let's see. I'm going to be on a local show in the Philly area this week, weekend, uh, Friday night, December 17th, and uh, that is going to be hosted by uh, Kevin. Uh, he, he goes by the name of Kevin Tinfoil, or Karma Tinfoil. He has a show on TalkShoe called Tinfoil Hat Area, in which uh, he discusses conspiracy theories. He does it in kind of a, a lighthearted way. He calls it a fun place to have serious discussions. So I'm going to be on as part of a show that's going to feature Philadelphia activists and all of the different um, things that uh, they do in the Philly area to bring awareness to people in, uh, in different aspects of the freedom movement and uh, just in general of what is going on uh, on the planet that we live on. So that's this Friday night, tinfoil hat area. If you simply go to TalkShoe.com and you type in tinfoil hat area into the search, the show will come up and you can listen in live at 10 o'clock p.m., starting at 10 p.m. this Friday night, December 17th. Uh, January 16th, 2011, I will be giving a lecture at Germ Books and Gallery. Germ Books is at 2005 frankfurt avenue in philadelphia 
This is going to be a joint lecture with Michael Melton from uh, MUFON, Pennsylvania. So um, this is going to be a uh, fundraiser, the third fundraiser for the Free Your Mind conference, which is coming up in April. But uh, we decided to do it at Germ Books this time, uh, and it's going to be a, 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 a dual lecture series. Um, Michael Melton is going to be giving a talk on mind control and the history of mind control. And I will be talking about the occult symbolism in the movie The Wizard of Oz, as we briefly discussed uh, last week on the show. So um, this will be the first time I'm giving this particular lecture, and perhaps I will give it on the air following uh, this event at Germ Books. So that's uh, Sunday, January 16th, 2011, Germ Books and Gallery. Um, Finally, uh, the last event announcement I have is the Free Your Mind Conference itself, a conference on consciousness, mind control, and the occult, a unique two-day conference scheduled for April 9th and 10th, 2011 in Philadelphia, PA, featuring multiple speakers and diverse educational materials for the purpose of raising public awareness of the critically important topics of mass mind control techniques, the covert and subversive influences upon our consciousness and behavior, trauma-based and ritualized abuse, and the practical mental and emotional healing methodologies available for those affected by these devices. The date, Saturday, April 9th, and Sunday, April 10th, 2011, the time, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m., both days with the doors opening at 9 a.m. on both days. The location, Ruba Hall, R-U-B-A, Ruba Hall. Ruba is at 414 Green Street in Philadelphia. The admission price is $20 per day if you purchase your tickets in advance. If you decide to get them at the door, the price uh, of admission at the door is $30 per day. The confirmed speakers, Aaron McCollum, Alfred Weber, who was just on Jesse Ventura's Conspiracy Theory show uh, this past Friday, and he did a magnificent job. Uh, Alfred Weber, Andrew Basiago, Bob Tuscan, Farah Yurdozu, Jan Irvin, John Nicholson, Larkin Rose, Laura Magdalene Eisenhower, Mark Matika, myself, Mark Passio, Mel Fabregas of the Veritas Radio Show, Michael Kelly, and Suzanne Taylor. For more information on this great conference, please visit the conference website at www.freeyourmindconference.com. All right, before we uh, jump into the topic for tonight, let's give the call-in numbers. If you want to call into the uh, TalkShoe Network, you can call 724 444-7444. Once again, 724-444-7444. The call ID number, which you will be prompted for when you call in, that number is 83515. Once again, the call ID number, 83515. If you want to call into the Blog Talk Network, which is uh, what the Intel Hub carries their shows on. You can call 646-727-3387. The call-in number for Blog Talk, 
646-727-3387. Before we start, I just want to say um, you may hear a little bit of background noise. Hopefully it's not too distracting. Uh, I, I do the show out of my home, and there is a uh, central heater that's running, and uh, it, it is frigid here in the city of Philadelphia uh, at this time. This is, you know, coming into the winter season, so it really, really gets cold here in, in those months, and uh, I think we're, we're down around 30 degrees now, something like that, um, maybe even less than that by this point, but it is a frigid day out there today where I'm, where I'm at. So uh, the heater is running in, in the house, and uh, just want to let you be aware of that in case there's a little bit of background noise. Uh, please forgive me for that. So last week, we began our discussion of religion, a sensitive topic, a controversial one, to be sure. But what we are looking at is religion as a methodology of mind control, and particularly religion as astrotheology. We broke down the word astrotheology last week, astra from the Latin star, meaning star, okay, astra, um, theos from the Greek meaning God, and logos from the Greek meaning word. So the word of God in the stars, and indeed modern day religion is in fact astrotheology. It is the worship of the heavenly bodies of the night and day sky as gods. And we will see, starting this evening, how this ideology is incorporated into religious beliefs, holidays, rituals, etc. Um, astrotheology can be equally applied to other religions in addition to uh, the the big three. We're going to be talking specifically tonight about the big three religions, what has been called by some researchers the desert sky god religions, all coming from um, cults of the ancient world, astrotheological cults of the sun, the moon, and the stars and planets. And we briefly began this discussion last week. We didn't get too deeply into it. Um, I want to mention a couple of things. Um, we had a caller in last week, Bob from Cincinnati, phenomenal caller, always a pleasure to hear from him. He calls into the show a lot. He had mentioned the Zeitgeist Movement, and I gave a brief um, uh, account of what I felt about that, how I thought that they were, you know, had good intentions. And I said, I wasn't so sure about their methods of implementing a resource-based economy. I know they work with the Venus Project, and there's some good minds in that as well. I had talked about that if it was going to be implemented, you know, and this came up because, of course, Zeitgeist is a movie that talks about astrotheology in the first section of the first movie. I said if it was going to be implemented in a truly free way, in an egalitarian way, and in a way that uh, was non-coercive, then I was for a resource-based economy, of course. Um, if it is somehow exercised through control and taking away from some people to give to others by force, then I'm not for that. So it's all in the methodology. But more specifically why I wanted to re-bring up the topic of uh, Zeitgeist and those movies is um, 
I want to make it clear on my stance on astrotheology. If I hadn't already done this last week, I want to make it very clear. How they portray astrotheology and zeitgeist is accurate to a great extent. However, I don't feel it goes quite far enough because it leaves out the deeper underlying significances of what the exoteric cover story of astrotheology okay, is keeping people back from in the esoteric sense. Again, we talked about the distinction between these two words, exoteric and esoteric, last week. We saw that exoteric was a meaning that is reserved for the general population, the masses of people. This is like a, um, uh, you know, an explanation that is given to the general population to get them to just, you know, take it at face value and say, okay, I don't need to look any further. That's what it is, and and that's taken care of. Okay, the esoteric meaning is reserved for those who are in a small specialized group okay so this is the in crowd that understands the true meaning that is reserved only for the initiates of a particular particular tradition or um or uh, uh group or uh you know um uh, a ceremonial type of gathering or philosophy Okay, so with its own um, associated symbols, words, rituals, etc. Okay, in other words, a mystery school. The distinction between exoteric and esoteric is essential to keep in mind as we talk about astrotheology, and it's where I kind of uh, do somewhat part ways from the way astrotheology is portrayed in zeitgeist. Again, I think it's a good beginner's introduction to the topic of astrotheology, but I think it largely dismisses the inner tradition. It dismisses that these symbols, if they are understood in their proper context, in their esoteric context, can be powerful, transformative tools for consciousness because they are telling us about our own consciousness, our own psyche. They're telling us about aspects of ourselves. And this is where I think uh, Zeitgeist stopped short and where I'm going to pick up the ball and run with it here tonight and going on into the weeks in the future when we talk about religion and astrotheology. So my stance on this is that I am not dismissive of the inner core traditions that religions have, at least in the past, attempted to hit the mark of, so to speak, to hit that bullseye. We talked about, and I put on the podcast last week, a representation of what I call the the dartboard of truth. This is kind of a symbolic, um, you know, circular pattern, concentric circles, Okay, and in the the very center, you have the truth itself that is unwavering, that just simply is. And then around that, you have this esoteric tradition that, you know, isn't at the very center of the bullseye or the center of the mandala, but it's 
it's reserved for a smaller group that really wants to make that journey toward the truth, the initiates, so to speak, okay? Those who have begun looking into the deeper aspects of something. And then around the outside, you have the exoteric religions, which are given to the masses, kind of to placate them and to keep them uh, in a docile state, in particularly a right brain state of consciousness, which is what religion is ultimately designed to do by the controllers of the world. So, again, for the people who may be approaching this topic from a religious point of view, which I am not, I am looking at this strictly from a spiritual point of view and a, a perspective which encompasses consciousness, not from a place of dogma or do dogmatic, unchallenged beliefs. I want to make it very clear that I am not dismissive of the inner core traditions, the esoteric mystery traditions that lie at the heart of religion and attempt to help the initiate to get further along in his or her quest for the truth, which, as I said, lies at the very heart of the issue. Unfortunately, what religion has become in the modern world, at least in the last few thousand years here on earth, is a mechanism for holding people back from the truth, for erecting a wall of exoteric beliefs and dogma. And that is encompassed right in the word religion. Religion itself means to hold back, to tie back. And again, I kind of went off on this last week uh, about the meaning of the word religion, and you still have people that insist that religion means to reread. Well, you know, believe what you want about the etymology of the word. Religion means to tie back, to hold back, or to thwart. That is where the word comes from, from the Latin religare. Um, I do want to say that it can... See, there's always a positive side to something as well. People tend to look too much at the, at the negative, uh, particularly when it comes to um, symbology or when it comes to um, anything having to do with the occult. And again, the occult is, can be a very bad influence and can be a very you know, dangerous thing when wielded if it is done with the intent to control. Hidden knowledge is hidden knowledge. It's what we do with it. That's what the word occult means, as we've said many times on this show. It simply means hidden. Well, yes, religion means to tie back, to hold back, to thwart. But again, what, you know, can we, what does that actually mean insofar as what is it holding back? In its negative aspect, which is how modern religions are being used without any question, it is being used to hold us back from the truth. If religion is in its true essence, in the actual core mystery tradition aspect of it, which is where it ultimately came from before it was degraded and you know, um, perverted over the centuries, if we were to really try to get at the heart of the mystery that religion used to be about, um, we would, we would basically come to the understanding that, that, there is a, that there is a deep fundamental underlying mystery that has to do with 
how we function as human beings. Okay? It is, it is the, the knowledge that the dominators of the world understand, and it is the knowledge through which they control us. We have to become aware of that if we are going to protect ourselves and steel ourselves against their manipulation and influence. I hear the music for the first break coming up. We'll take a break, and I'll be right back after these messages. Did you ever wish that you could have done something while you still had the chance? What will you do if your income ends tomorrow? Or if you lose your home, as many already have, do you have enough money to survive through an economic depression? If you don't want to gamble with your future, then FreeToProsper.com can help you quickly end your debt problems, protect your property and possessions, and develop a personal strategy to get you through the hard times. Most importantly, you get to keep your money and not pay another cent to creditors. Our program is often superior to bankruptcy, consolidation, or settlement. Visit FreeToProsper.com to find out more. This is your real chance to act ahead, so don't delay. Your future may depend on it. Call 718-615-0123 to learn more. That's 718-615-0123. Or visit FreeToProsper.com today. Is a chance, the President of the United States, to use this disaster to carry out what his father, a phrase his father used, I think, only once and hasn't been used since, and that is a new world order. You are listening to the Intel Hub News Network, crushing the new world order piece by piece. In a world where annual hydrants have seized control of the population, trouble to your knees. There's amongst us the burden of humanity rests on our shoulders. The only way out is to expose the global crime syndicate known as the New World Order. Together, we are all one. Together, we are Intel soldiers. The L for free humanity ensues. Join us in the fight. The Intel Hub.com. Secure your future. Get your non hybrid seed pack now with the looming economic crisis food shortages, and other toxic disasters, now is the time to be ready. Just click on the Heirloom Organics banner at the top of our Blog Talk radio page today. Secure your future and the future of your family in hard times. Heirloom Organic Seeds. Join me, Joe Joseph, John King, and A.C. Griffith, Thursdays and Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, for Freedom Link Radio on the Intel Hub News Network.
Okay, we're back on What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. We were talking about the negative and positive aspects of religion, specifically when it comes to the word religion. Again, it means to to uh, re-tie or to tie back, to hold back. And, you know, if it is done in the negative way, it is tying us back or holding us back from the truth. However, we should look at the positive aspect of the word uh, to bring some balance to it. And, you know, to tie together can mean to unite, okay, to be bound together. That means to connect, okay? So religion in its positive aspect, true religion, can mean to reconnect us, to reconnect us with the truth, to reconnect us with the divine, to reunite us, reunite us with our understanding of natural law. And again, this is all ultimately about those things. Okay? So, let's start looking at religion from the astrotheological perspective. Let's pick up looking at it which is where we started last week. We saw that astrotheology is based upon three basic astro- astronomical cults of the ancient world. The cult of the sun, or the solar cult, the cult of the moon, or the lunar cult, and the cult of the stars and planets the lesser lights of the heavens, the smaller lights in the sky, okay? And that is the stellar cult. So let's start looking at religion connected with each one of these cults in turn. We'll start with Christianity and how the story of Christianity is completely interwoven into the solar cult mythos of many ancient cultures. Now, in the Christian religion and faith, there is a trinity, the concept of three in one, a triune God. Now, for those who have been listening to the show from the beginning, or who have maybe seen my lectures, you will understand that this is an exoteric symbol for the aspects of our consciousness. We saw in the past on this show that consciousness manifests itself or expresses itself in three basic ways, through our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions. Thoughts being kind of the creator aspect of of these three modalities of consciousness. Our thoughts arise out of nothingness, from the void of, of pure consciousness, okay? Everything that we set into motion in the world is created ultimately first from our thoughts. Nothing can ever exist or be set into motion from us until it comes from our thoughts first. As far as what we experience in the world, Okay, Our emotions are the internal quality of consciousness. 
This is how we feel things inside. This is the feminine aspect. It's the spirit in which we do things. Our emotions. The spiritual aspect of consciousness. And then our actions are the byproduct of these two. Of the creator and the feminine spirit. Okay? The creator aspect is the thoughts. The emotions are the feminine spirit in which we take our actions. And then the byproduct of these is the action itself, which is a male principle. It's an active modality of consciousness, not a passive one like emotions or not an essence like thoughts. Okay? And therefore, it is ascribed masculine qualities and considered a male child. So right there we have a, a setup in the story of astrotheology because this is ultimately the truth of what the exoteric cover story of astrotheology is trying to hold us back from. They want you to always think controllers that institute religion, the negative, of the negative kind, okay, always want you to think of the gods as outside of yourself no matter what God it is. Something that you are separate from. Okay? Not something that is internal. As the words attributed to Jesus, the very, you know, um, one of the gods of the triune gods of Christianity, the words attributed to him in the New Testament, he says that the kingdom of heaven is within and this is sort of dismissed by modern religionists. He was trying to explain to people it was all about your consciousness. Not to look outside. It's about your own personal sovereignty. And your one-to-one -one connection with the divine. Regardless of what you happen to think of that as. No intermediary, no intercessor. Just you and that force. And ultimately, they're ultimately one. Because everything is that force. When we look into the ancient past, we see that this concept of a trinity or a triune God or a family okay, of three comes up over and over and over again. In Babylon... You had the trinity of Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz. In the Egyptian tradition, you had the trinity of Osiris, father, Isis, mother or sacred feminine, and Horus, the divine child. You have this repeat of the Trinity over and over again in various cultures. In the, in the uh, Hindu religion, the Indus Valley, you had Brahma, Shiva, and Vishnu. Okay? You have a father, a mother, and a male child. 
always. Well, in the Christian tradition, dating back approximately 2,000 years, you have this family again depicted. Okay? Now, Mary and Joseph are the physical, biological parents of Jesus in the story. And there's your, your trinity there. But since they are deifying the Jesus character in the, in the exoteric story of Christianity and making him into the Son of God, which we'll talk about what that means in a moment, his true parents are God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Creator God and then the Spirit so, he is the son of the, cre- the true creator God, the one God, okay? And that force through the Holy Spirit impregnates a earthly woman who gives birth to the physical incarnation of God on earth, at least in the exoteric cover story. The sacred feminine is, of course, left out of this trinity. The sacred feminine represent, you know, which Mary represents in this trinity or triune aspect is completely left out. So it has been turned into a spirit or a ghost, the Holy Ghost. This is significant. This is a male-dominator patriarchal religion in our male-dominator times, the age of Pisces. Women aren't allowed to serve as priests in this religion, still to this day. Totally patriarchal, totally male-dominator. And so why not in their main symbol leave out the sacred feminine aspect of emotion and relegate it to the status of a ghost. Mary is not to be worshipped in this religion. That is anathema in Christianity, to worship a goddess. The goddess always has to be removed from the equation or killed or marginalized because it's all about the dominator of the male energy the masculine that's what's going on in our world that's why we're losing our freedoms because there's such an imbalance in consciousness toward the male essence without much import placed upon the sacred feminine or conscience our emotions and being able to feel the repercussions of our actions as we take them in the world and they affect others. That's what it's all about. It's all about destroying that aspect aspect of the individual. And this is a symbol of that in the religion called Christianity marginalizing the divine feminine 
she's just the vehicle for bringing in the male God into the world. So, this story is ancient. It's been going on as long as the world has been under male-dominated rulership. And it's just retold over and over and over and over again. In the Babylonian religion, the creator god's name was Nimrod. Often depicted as a fish god or a combination man-fish god. You know, the Sumerians and Babylonians said that their gods came from the seas. This is highly symbolic, but could be very telling. When we get into, you know, the concept of visitation to this planet. We're not going to get into that tonight, but it's an interesting topic to look into great series on um, uh, I believe it's uh, is it Discovery HD or History HD called Ancient Aliens Eric Von Doniken kind of uh, you know producing this series and I highly encourage people to check it out and look into it they've done a phenomenal job on this series uh, speaking of which um I posted a lot of different movies up on the podcast section for last week. For those who might want to jump ahead and do their own uh, digging into this topic of astrotheology, there's a ton of resources up on my podcast page at What on Earth is Happening. I try to mention that every week. Uh, go up there, make use of that page. It's uh, a great resource page. I posted uh, a ton of stuff up there. Let me uh, bring it up and I'll tell you, tell you what I posted there last week. Let's see. I put some books up there. Um, I put some videos up there. Um, I linked to an audio series, which I'll tell you about in a moment. Uh, I think it's absolutely invaluable for those who, um, you know, like uh, podcast audio and want to really do some more research into this topic. So I posted some books, Stellar Theology and Masonic Astronomy, Astrotheology and Sidereal Astronomy by Michael Tessarion, Occult Theocracy, and another book called Symbols, Sex, and the Stars. And these are all about the astrotheological cults of the ancient world. Great books, every one of them. Um, William Cooper put out a series called Mystery Babylon years ago when he was still alive before he was murdered by the dominator system and uh, its agents, its, its house slaves, as I called them last week, because that's what they are. Any, anybody that loves their own enslaver, enslavement and fights to protect it and serves their own dominator master who's keeping them in bondage is a house slave. And that, those are harsh words, but they're true ones nonetheless. And that's what the people who serve this immoral system, because they think that they're benefiting from it in the short term, don't even understand that they're, they're putting their own chains on willingly. And more, even more, uh, more from an immoral point of view than, than that, 
they are putting the chains onto their own children if they have any. And they're too stupid and unread to realize it. You know, sometimes I feel like coming on the air and just saying, hey, folks, uh, you want to know what's going on and why the world is the way that it is? People don't read. Good night, everyone, because that's all it really ultimately boils down to. So make use of some of the resource resources I'm posting on my podcast page. It's, um, you know, that's why I do it. These people went out of their way, some of these authors, to acquire this information. And they didn't do it for their own health or their own enjoyment. They did it to try to bring light to the world. So, uh, William Cooper, the Mystery Babylon series, I posted uh, four pages of links to that entire series. If you are so inclined, avail yourself of it and download those podcasts because they're brilliant. And he was a great person. Also up there, there's some, some videos from Jordan Maxwell. There's one, uh, there's, uh, one up there from Michael Tessarion, and there's a couple from Manly P. Hall, all great scholars on astrotheology. And uh, there's many, many other topics that, that uh, I'll probably post and post resources to in the weeks to come on this topic. So... Let's look at the Egyptian trinity now. And let's see how this equates to the modern Christian tradition and how this is all tied in with astrotheology as the solar cult, because that is what Christianity is. It is the cult of the sun. And yes, I mean the, not the sun of God. I mean the physical sun in the sky. Okay. It is sun worship. <clears throat> In the Egyptian mythos, the Egyptian pantheon of gods, the, the, there was an ideal family. And this ideal family was represented by three gods that acted as one basic unit. So this already should sound familiar, okay? Osiris was the creator god. Okay? He represented the divine force in nature, the bringer of life, the giver of life. His wife was Isis, I-S-I-S, -I -S, okay? The goddess. She represented the natural world. She represented the sky. She represented the galaxy with its myriad of stars. She was the birth giver. Okay? She gave the life force of Osiris physical expression in matter. She was the birth giver to all the suns of the cosmos, the stars of the heavens, because she is the feminine void 
the potentiality of creation, whereas Osiris is the masculine aspect of that divine force. So Isis, you want to look at as the goddess of the heavens. the galaxy, and all of the stars, okay? Their child was named Horus, H-O-R-U-S, Horus. We, we mentioned him in the weeks when we talked about time. He is, uh, his name is given to the hours. It's just the reversal of letters in English. The hour is, is named after Horus. Horus was the golden falcon. Okay? He was the sun depicted as a golden falcon, a bright ball of light that makes its trek symbolically as this bird, this falcon or hawk, okay? But he was the sun that gives us life. He was one of the aspects of the sun. And there are others, which we'll talk about, okay? Horus journeys from his zone when he is rising. Okay, this is the zone of Horus. It's the horizon Horus zone. Okay? Always in the words that we speak, there is a lesson to be learned. There, the, the, the constructors of our language are always telling us something in the language itself. So there's the intro music. We're coming up to our second break. I'll be going more into the story of the Trinity of ancient Egypt when we come back here on what on earth is happening. Join me, Joe Joseph, John King, and A.C. Griffin. Thursdays and Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern for Freedom Link Radio on the Intel Hub News Network.
Did you ever wish that you could have done something while you still had the chance? What will you do if your income ends tomorrow? Or if you lose your home, as many already have? Do you have enough money to survive through an economic depression? If you don't want to gamble with your future, then FreeToProsper.com can help you quickly end your debt problems, protect your property and possessions, and develop a personal strategy to get you through the hard times. Most importantly, you get to keep your money and not pay another cent to creditors. Our program is often superior to bankruptcy, consolidation, or settlement. Visit FreeToProsper.com to find out more. This is your real chance to act ahead, so don't delay. Your future may depend on it. Call 718-615-0123 to learn more. That's 718-615-0123. Or visit FreeToProsper.com today. The Intel Hub Radio Show, Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern on Oracle Broadcasting, and also simulcast on the Intel Hub News Network. We'll continue to work together to achieve peace. That's what we want, freedom and peace. You are listening to the Intel Hub News Network, crushing the new world order, piece by piece. Okay, we're back on what on earth is happening. I was talking about the trinity of ancient Egypt and comparing it to the trinity of modern-day Christianity. Um, We were looking at the trinity of Osiris, Isis, and Horus, the ideal family of ancient Egypt. So Osiris, the creator god, the uh, sacred feminine aspect of nature, which was uh, embodied in the goddess Isis, and then their son, Horus, the golden falcon, who makes his daily trek across the sky from the horizon, the zone of Horus. And he rises in the east, flies in an arc, to his zenith point, and then finally in the west sets or encounters the dark god known as Set, the brother of Horus, at the opposite horizon, where they do battle and Horus is slain by Set. Okay? This is about, of course, the daily rise and set of the sun, because that is what Horus represented. He was the sun god. And there were three aspects, main aspects of the sun in ancient Egypt, the rising aspect, the zenith aspect, and the setting aspect. So the rising aspect is embodied by Horus. The zenith aspect is uh, generally represented by Amun-Ra, the sun at its highest point. Again, the word amen, or amen, 
is derived from the Egyptian tradition. And at the end of each prayer in the Christian tradition, this sun god's name is invoked. Amen. It is sending the prayer or the intent zenithward to the highest point of the sun, the highest aspect of light for the manifestation of the intentions of that particular prayer. Set, of course, Horace's... I I want to refrain from using the word evil, but for all intents and purposes, his evil brother, okay? It's more of his, um, I guess you could say, alter ego, or maybe just pure ego sense, that if... um, this is the aspect of the self that if it is followed and listened to will result in the termination of the light. Or in other words, a very hard experience. Okay? The lights will go out if we follow Set instead of Horus. So Set is the dark god of the western horizon that conquers uh, Horus. As I talked about, you know, he conquers them at the end of each day, and then, of course, they do battle in the underworld, and Horus emerges triumphant to rise once again in the morning and rejuvenate the world, to bring light and light, uh, light and warmth and life to the world once again. Or, in other words, to eternally renew the world through his death and subsequent resurrection. So this should sound quite familiar because it is the story of Jesus. They're essentially one and the same. The story of Jesus is a retelling of this ancient um, solar myth of Horus and his parents. Horus was said to be the son of God because he is Osiris' son who represented the divine force of the cosmos. He ultimately represents knowledge. He ultimately represents goodness, righteousness, in harmony with moral law. When you see him depicted in the Egyptian paintings and statuettes, etc. You will often see him being born or carried by Isis. Okay, because the night sky of Isis in the older tradition, she was Newt. Okay, Newt, meaning where we get the word night from. Okay. The night sky, which Isis represented, gives birth to the sun each day. The sun is born out of the night sky. In the Greek tradition, the sun god was Apollo. His mother was Leto. Okay? She was the dark night goddess that gives birth to the sun god out of the night. Light emerging out of darkness is a theme recreated in this solar mythos, this solar cult of religion. 
and you know then it is conquered at the end of the cycle and then it is reborn and we're going to look at how that works but before we do that I want to make clear that there is an esoteric aspect to all of this see this is the exoteric cover story once again this is the exoteric story that is told that is given to the public oh yeah Jesus is the son of God he's born of a virgin and then you know he uh, he dies and then come resurrects and comes back to life and you know to, to save the world to renew the world but this is ultimately about aspects of ourselves. When we look at, um, I'll, I'll be posting an image of a statue of Osiris, who is flanked by the brothers, Horus and Set. Now, it's very interesting how this statue was depicted. Horus is standing on Osiris's right-hand side, and he is touching the right side of Osiris's head, while Set is standing on Osiris's left-hand side and touching the left side of his head, of Osiris's head. Now think about this. If, if Horus represented goodness, righteousness, harmony with natural law, which is embodied by his mother Isis, Set is the opposite of that, going against the grain, staying in ego, going against natural law principles. Okay? The one who always has to be, you know, reeled in and corrected if you look at the stories of Set. You know, if he's not doing outright harm and evil, he is one that always needs correction because he represents the ego principle, the left brain divorced from the sacred feminine right side of the brain. And they're depicting it in this statue, which I'll post with this podcast. Truly an amazing symbolic depiction. If you understand how to get past the exoteric to the core tradition that lies beneath the symbolism, then it becomes magic and beautiful and wondrous and something that's very important to understand. And that's why they veiled it. You know, perhaps the wisdom masters of these traditions veiled it to keep it away from the brute male dominator forces that they knew were rising or had already had control in their times. So, there's, we'll get into deeper aspects of it, like what is the virgin birth, okay? We'll look at that in a moment. Let's, let's continue on with this trinity, okay? So, I have another depiction of Osiris, Osiris was often depicted as a, a pillar, okay, or his essence is depicted as a pillar. There's a, a pillar in ancient Egypt known as the Jed pillar, and this is spelled D-J-E-D, Jed, it's pronounced, okay? So this was a, a, called the pillar of Osiris, or the backbone of Osiris, and it represented stability. It represented harmony, okay? And there's a, there's a depiction of this in uh, an image I will also post. I probably should have done this before the show. Sometimes I will post images or documents on the radio page. I didn't get a chance to do that tonight. I apologize for that. It would have made it easier in helping the audience you know, go up there and look at some of these, but I didn't get a chance to. Um, 
I was actually uh, preparing a presentation for um, uh, this is a side note, uh, a complete uh, tangent to what we're talking about, but um, actually it's uh, pretty interesting. Uh, I was invited by the Tesla Science Foundation to help give a uh, presentation tomorrow at the Franklin Institute, which is a great opportunity. Uh, we're actually going to be speaking at the Franklin Institute in front of a classroom of science students and uh, telling them all about Nikola Tesla his life and his accomplishments and uh, what he tried to do for the world and how that could still be brought to fruition. So um, great that the uh, uh, Franklin Institute is um, moving to educate some of their students on Tesla and working with the Tesla Science Foundation in Philadelphia to do that. Um, so uh, I was working on that presentation earlier today and uh, we'll be giving that I'll be one of the three presenters uh, tomorrow at the Franklin Institute on Nikola Tesla. So uh, just a great opportunity there. To go back to um, this image that I'm looking at, and I'll post with the podcast, Osiris, who represented harmony, um, dominion, okay, sovereignty, oneness with the divine force, the flow of nature, he is shown in the middle on a pillar and to his right and left sides is Horus and Isis. Now again, Isis represented the laws of nature. She represented natural law. Horus represented right action in harmony with natural law. So when you're bringing these two forces together, okay, they form this arch or this um, very strong structure, the pillar of stability, it was known as in the Egyptian tradition, the Jed pillar. So that's what it represented, and that's what Osiris represents in this trinity. Okay? And that is form, that stability, that order, which we talked about in the uh, two weeks ago when I gave the presentation on natural law, is what is embodied here in this story. Again, we're getting past the exoteric cover story of astrotheology about just the, the, uh, the sun being born out of the night sky, okay, the virgin birth, so to speak, and there's a deeper aspect to that. But we're getting past that, and we're looking at what do these symbols truly mean? And they mean the same things in the Christian tradition if we get past the story, which most people don't want to let go of. See, what Christianity is being used for in the exoteric sense is to control people in the modern world. If we get past the exoteric, get to the esoteric, there's a rich tradition to be found underneath of it, as with any other religion. But most people want to stay with the story. I don't understand it. I don't know what they think that they get from that. I woke up to it a long time ago, and as I said last week, I knew I was being lied to about what religion really was, but sadly, I wasn't blessed with a conscious family in my youth, as many of us are not, and I, w I didn't really have people turning me on to other areas of inquiry and research, specifically when it came to astrotheology. If I had known about what astrotheology was back then, maybe I wouldn't have gone down the path that I went down, which was total 
abject hatred for religion and wanting to find what the exact other side of it was to go down the dark left-hand path, and I got involved in Satanism, which is the force that I ultimately understood was really controlling everything in the world, and not specifically just Satanism, but the dark occult in general. But, um, you know, had I had a teacher about astrotheology back then or encountered this material then, I would have simply said, oh, I don't need to hate that. Now I understand what it is and how people are fooled into the belief system that they have based on this. It all makes sense. So we see Isis often depicted with this child Horus. Okay, and this is uh, an analog. It's a direct symbolic analog to Mary with the child Jesus because they represent the same concepts. Horus, son of God, given birth to by the mother of the night sky. Well, she, Isis was the moon goddess. Okay, again, the moon, the dark aspect of night, the night sky. Okay, she's the night goddess the moon reigns in the night. It's the sacred feminine symbol, lunar. The, 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 the feminine energy is said to be lunar. The yin energy. Okay? So, we will often see Mary depicted as wearing a dark cloak with stars embedded in it because she is the mother of the night sky, the queen of the heavens. Okay? That she is the goddess that gives birth to the sons of the heavens. Just like she gives birth to the sun, Horus, or Jesus, if it's Mary. If it's Isis, she gives birth to Horus. I have a depiction here of Mary with a night sky cloak with the stars embedded on the cloak, wearing a crown depicting that she is the queen of the heavens, with a crescent moon that she is standing on because she is the moon goddess of the night sky, and then beneath her, she is bearing the child Jesus slash Horus, the sun, because the night sky in all of the aspects I just described, with the, the, the suns of the night sky, the, the stars embedded in Mary's cloak, okay, in this image, she then bears the sun in the morning sky. This is a symbolic representation that only harmony with natural law, with morality, with conscience, which is what the Holy Spirit truly represents in the Christian trinity and what Isis represented in the Egyptian trinity, okay, only getting in touch with those aspects can ever truly bear light or save us, can bring the Savior into the world. They're trying to hold back this understanding by wrapping it in a story and getting people to worship it as something external to themselves and then put all kinds of dogma in it and put all kinds of rules and regulations and control freak, male dominator control freak factors in it to, to dissuade people from looking at the real tradition that lies underneath. 
the esoteric. But again, as long as people are wrapped up in religious dogma, they're never going to understand that these things are symbolic and they're telling you about aspects of yourself. So let's look at how astrotheology is based upon astronomical principles and astrological ones. Okay? So, before I even do that, let, let's, let's break down what the virgin birth is all about. Now, clearly it's not about actual conception, okay, which is what they try to tell you in the Christian exoteric cover story, that Mary actually conceived without actually knowing man. Okay? There was no sex involved. She just gave birth and the Holy Spirit uh, you know, impregnated her with uh, the child Jesus. To understand the virgin birth truly, we have to understand the human brain, because that's what it's really about. See, there's three components to the brain, as we've talked about in numerous times here. The R-complex, which is the lowest aspect of consciousness in the brain. It's the physical motion, you know, uh, actual motor skills, survive survival-only mentality, identification with the physical world, um, fight-or-flight mechanism, stress, etc. Okay? In other words, all of the things that we don't want to see uh, our consciousness become like. We want to see higher thought. We want to see reason. We want to see uh, logic. We want to see creativity. We want to see nurturing. We want to see moral behavior. Okay? Moral thought. We stay in the R complex, that's not possible. It's animalistic behavior. Okay? The thing that we need to get into touch with is the positive aspects of the emotional system that is made possible through the limbic system of the brain. The limbic system has a positive and negative component to it, depending on the types of emotions that one is experiencing through it and the types of chemicals it then outputs to the body. But ultimately, it is the part of the brain that governs our emotional makeup. So, if we, if we look at this part of the brain, it's the feminine aspect of the brain complexes, the three brain complexes. And the goal is to give birth to the higher order brain, which is the neocortex at the top of the brain complex, the highest part of the brain. Okay, which has all those functions that I talked about as making us human. Logic, reason, creativity, you know, nurturing, true care, all of that. Moral thoughts, ethical thoughts, okay? And all of the things that we really aspire to as human beings. In order to reach that state, we have to conquer the controlling dominator influence of the R-complex of the brain, which is traditionally looked at as the, it is the oldest evolutionary part of the brain, okay? And it's looked at as the male dominator aspect of the brain. So this is the, the uh, Old Testament God, okay? The law-obsessed, control-obsessed, but nonetheless currently in charge aspect of humanity, Okay. If we get in touch with the positive aspects of our emotions and the limbic system is then activated in the right way, 
okay, which is empathy, conscience, okay, helping us to feel the repercussions of our actions in the world towards others, then the R complex will die away. Its control, at least, not physically, but its control over us will die away. And we will bear into the world through the emotions or through the sacred feminine parts of the brain, okay, the child, which is the neocortex, which is the higher order thought functions of the human brain. And therefore, if you look at these other two parts of the brain, the R-complex and the limbic brain, and we look at the R-complex as the male dominator father figure and the limbic brain as the sacred feminine mother who then gives birth to the child that is the neocortex, the newest part of the brain, okay? It is the youngest evolutionarily, therefore it is the child in this trinity, okay? We see what the virgin birth really means. The virgin birth is when the, me, the uh, feminine aspect of our consciousness or our emotions the, or the limbic brain, the, the midbrain, finally gives birth when the R-complex has basically lost its hold or, quote, died away. So that's a widow. Okay, it's, it's been widowed and yet it gives birth to a child. A virgin birth has taken place. In the tradition of Freemasonry, this is called the birth of the widow's son. The widow's son. The widow does not have a husband. The R-complex is dead. If, if the widow's son is truly raised, okay, the widow's son is one who has been raised as a master mason to that third level. It's an esoteric meaning, okay? The virgin birth is about the birth of the higher order aspects of consciousness and the human brain after the lower aspects of them have been conquered or done away with. And therefore, a virgin birth has taken place. Hiram Abiff, the widow's son, is born, is raised up out of his, his tomb, just like Jesus is raised out of his tomb, because he represents the savior of the world in the form of the human neocortex, which if we don't actively engage and uh, basically bring to a state of equilibrium and balance and health, once again, the world isn't going to be saved. It's going to it's going to experience uh, devourment by set, the dark aspect of the sun, which, you know, is the dark occultists of this world. They are Setians. They are dark Luciferians. They are dark Masons. They are, you know, um, those who worship this dark force. But yet it is a force that is symbolically characterized by light or the sun. It's just which aspect of it, which horizon are you looking at? Are you looking to put the light out to death in the western horizon, or are you looking to have it be raised in the eastern horizon? It's all symbolic. We need to get past the immaturity of looking at these things as simply you know, one-dimensional and understand that they are telling a much deeper, richer story. 
Yes, the dark occultists worship Set, one of the darkest occultists in the whole United States. Um, uh, Michael Aquino, the leader of the Temple of Set, he was once the uh, head of the Psychological Warfare Division of the U.S. Army. A Setian. Other word for a Satanist, essentially. Used to be involved in the Church of Satan. Separated from LaVey's church and formed his own. Wanted to be more hardcore even than LaVey. Who worked with members of the Skull and Bones and the Lansky Syndicate and just about every kind of uh, vile creature walking the earth that you could possibly, you know, name. Although some say he even repented on his deathbed. Anton LaVey, high priest of the Church of Satan. Just like people said, uh, Holdren repented on his deathbed. I don't know if people were, were following that story. Dominator, globalist, John Holdren died this week and uh, so people say he re recanted and on his deathbed uh, called for the end of the war in Afghanistan because he knew what he was really doing in the world and he knew that that wasn't going to save him where he was going. And yeah, believe me, um, death is the grand leveler. It's the one thing we all have in common. That's where we're all going to meet eventually, on the level. <laughs> we, we may be meeting symbolically on the square, a world that has gone horribly awry right now and is in, in a state of immorality and low consciousness, which represents the earth. But ultimately, we all meet on the level. And death is the grand leveling tool. And everyone is equal in the light of the angel of death. And Holdren realized that and perhaps uh, put forward, you know, a moment of repentance on his deathbed. It uh, kind of makes one wonder a little bit. At least I took pause at hearing that. I, I, I kind of took pause at hearing... When Anton LaVey died, he, he made the statement, I wasted it all, meaning my life. What he did compared to what he could have done, what he chose to use his life for. In the moment when he was seeing death face to face, he finally recognized that, that he wasted it all. And maybe that's what Holdren realized in his moment of truth. But uh, to go back to uh, the story of uh, looking at astro-theology in a perspective of astronomy, um, let's, uh, let's revisit, I think we looked at this a little bit when we talked about time, but let's relook at this because it's going to help us to understand the story of Jesus a little bit better. Um, and, you know, I've been so getting into this uh, that, uh, you know, I'm not even paying attention to the time. We're well past the, uh, the top of the second hour. So let me re-give the call-in numbers. And if anybody wants to call in and ask any questions or make any comments, um, the TalkShoe call-in number is 724-444-7444. Once again, 724-444-7444. The call ID number, 8 3515. When you call in, they'll ask for the call ID. You punch in 83515. If you want to call into the Intel Hub News Network through Blog Talk, you can call into 646 727 3387. 
646-727-3387. Hopefully we'll get some calls in the next segment. I hear the intro music for this next break. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. We'll be right back after these messages. Did you ever wish that you could have done something while you still had the chance? What will you do with your income and tomorrow? Or if you lose your home, as many already have, do you have enough money to survive through an economic depression? If you don't want to gamble with your future, then FreeToProper.com can help you quickly end your debt problems, protect your property and possessions, and develop a personal strategy to get you through the hard times. Most importantly, you get to keep your money and not pay another cent to creditors. Our program is often superior to bankruptcy, consolidation, or settlement. Visit FreeToProper.com to find out more. This is your real chance to wreck ahead. So don't delay. Your future may depend on it. Call 718-615-0123 to learn more. That's 718-615-0123. Or visit free2prosper.com today. Is a chance for the President of the United States to use this disaster to carry out what his father, a phrase his father used, I think, only once, and hasn't been used since, and that is a new world order. You are listening to the Intel Hub News Network, crushing the new world order, piece by piece. In a world where corrupt and all I don't in control of the population. Totally tyranny that belongs to us. The burden of humanity rests on our shoulders. The only way out is to expose these global crimes and units known as the New World Order. Together, we are all one. Together, Intel soldiers. The battle for free humanity ensues. Join us in the fight. The Intel Hub.com. Secure your future. Get your non-hybrid seed pack now. With the looming economic crisis, food shortages, and other toxic disasters, now is the time to be ready. Just click on the Heirloom Organics banner at the top of our Blog Talk radio page today. Secure your future and the future of your family in hard times. Heirloom Organic Seed. Join me, Joe Joseph, John King, and A.C. Griffiths. Thursdays and Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, Freedom Link Radio on the Intel Hub News Network.
Okay, we're back on What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Um, let's look at the actual year, the Earth's path around the sun during the course of the year. This is going to pave the way for helping us to understand Christianity as the religion of the sun, S-U-N. <clears throat> Our year is, we divide our year into four seasons, okay? Now, what you have to understand about how the seasons work and what um, makes the differences between the seasons is, is not anything having to do with the Earth being on an elliptical orbit. For the most part, we can look at the Earth as a circular orbit. It, it is not a drastic ellipse. So a lot of people think that the seasons are made by the Earth being farther away from or closer to the sun at a certain times of the year, and that is not the case, okay? The thing that actually creates the seasons is the angle at which the light of the sun strikes the Earth. The, the only real thing that creates the seasons is the angle at which the Earth is tilted either toward or away from the sun, okay? Because the earth is tilted, okay, at a 23.5 degree angle with respect to its plane of orbit as it revolves around the sun. So I'll say that one more time. The earth is tilted at a 23.5 degree angle on its own axis of rotation with respect to its plane of orbit, okay, with respect to the sun. So when the, when the uh, earth is tilted toward the sun on this plane of orbit, we call that the summer season because the most direct sunlight is actually being received by the northern hemisphere. Most of the life, most of the human life on Earth actually resides in the northern hemisphere of the Earth, population-wise, population density-wise, okay? You know, at the same time, in the southern hemisphere, they're experiencing winter when we're having summer, and vice versa, because in the southern hemisphere, it would then be tilted away from the sun. So if, it's, if the northern hemisphere is tilted toward the sun, okay, so the North Pole's axis is tilted toward the sun at a 23.5 degree angle, the sun actually is striking the Northern Hemisphere with more direct sunlight. If we go then to the autumn equinox, okay, this is uh, the, you know, the divider line, you could say, right between summer and autumn. So this would be at uh, March uh, 20th, um, <clears throat> you have, um, I'm sorry, uh, that would be at um, uh, September 21st. So the, the, sun, the, um, the Earth is entering uh, fall, okay? The, there is no angle at all with which the sun is with respect to either hemisphere, either north or south. It is basically striking the earth with 
uh, equal amounts of sunlight in the northern and the southern hemisphere. Okay, so we call this an equinox because it equi means means equal and nox is night, equal amounts of day and night. Okay, so if we looked at the angle that the Earth and Sun actually make with respect to the Earth's plane of orbit around the Sun, it's a zero degree angle. If we look at the winter solstice, this is December 21st, the, the Earth is tilted away from the Sun at a 23.5 degree angle in the northern hemisphere. So the sun appears to be at a 23.5 degree south angle with respect to the equator of the earth. Okay, so more direct sunlight is striking the southern hemisphere, so we say that, that the winter hem the the northern hemisphere is experiencing winter at that time. And again, we come then to the spring equinox and the sun is at the equator again, essentially. No angle with respect to the hemisphere. It's uh, striking the earth directly in the middle, and that's equal day and night again. So the equinoxes meaning equal day and night. The solstices mean that's the largest angle that the sun reaches with respect to either the north or uh, the northern, northern or southern hemispheres. So in the winter, the sun is at a 23.5 degree southerly angle with respect to the Earth's equator, and at the summer solstice, the sun is at a 23.5 degree northern angle with respect to the equator. Okay, now that's, it sounds complicated when you get a chance to look at the image that I prepared for, for this concept uh, in the podcast, on the podcast page. I think it'll make it a, a abundantly clearer how the seasons work. So, you can just basically look at it as a sine wave, okay? The, if you want to say the angle that the sun makes with respect to the equator starts at zero, and then that's the spring equinox, then it rises to the summer solstice, and it's at 23.5, then it goes back down to zero at the autumn equinox, and then it goes all the way down to minus 23.5, or in other words, 23.5 degrees south at the winter solstice, and then it comes back up to zero at the spring equinox again, and it repeats. So it's like a sine wave, and it repeats. I'll see if I could find an image that depicts that. It's an easy way to symbolically think of uh, this movement. But all that's really going on is the Earth is going around the sun in a circle while it is tilted with respect to that plane of, or of, of revolution. That's it, with that, to that plane of orbit. So the tilt of the Earth is what creates the seasons. If the Earth were directly upright with respect to its orbit around the sun, there would be no seasons. It would be perpetual uh, spring slash fall, whatever you want to, however you want to look at it. They're really the same season. Okay. So there's one other frame of reference, and I talked about this in the time section uh, to understand the story of astrotheology when it comes to the solar-based cult, which is Christianity, and that is the procession of equinoxes. And all you have to understand with this is that the frame of reference as far as the Earth's tilt slowly, slowly wobbles, okay? It slowly turns in a counterclockwise circle with respect to the stars that we call 
the, Zod the Zodiac, the Zodiacal Band, the 12 Houses of the Zodiac, okay? So I posted a movie called The Great Year in the Time section. You could watch it to understand the um, procession of the equinoxes and the reasons that this may be happening. In other words, why this frame of, mo of motion exists. And I do, I do not personally believe that the Earth wobbles on its own axis of rotation. I think that there is another reference frame of motion that science hasn't really fully come to acknowledge yet uh, as to why the Earth makes this movement, or seems to make this movement, I should say. I think it's the entire solar system that's making this movement, in my opinion, but I will not get into that now because that's more complicated. So... I'll post an image that just shows this motion of procession and what you have to keep in mind to understand procession in the terms we're talking about it in is that all it means is that the rising of the sun at the spring equinox, which is the beginning of a sidereal year, okay, changes very slowly throughout thousands of years, okay, and it precesses or moves backwards through the zodiacal houses in a time period of approximately 25,000 years. So we will look at that when we start to look at the zodiac, which we're going to do right now. And when it comes to the uh, appropriateness for uh, explaining where the... Um, procession of the equinoxes comes into play in this story, I'll, I'll do so, which is the only reason I brought it up. The zodiac is the 12 houses through which, or the 12 um, groupings of stars. Okay, zodiac means um, it comes from the word animal. Okay, it's the, the sky animals, essentially, is what it means. Um, it means, uh, what the zodiac is, is 12 groupings of stars that we call constellations, okay, that are given symbolic names and images, depictions, to tell a story of what is taking place in the heavens. And this is, Christianity is entirely based upon astrology. It's based upon stories told about groupings of stars in the heavens through which the sun passes, Okay? because it's all about the sun and its journey in the heavens. That's what the religion of Christianity is about when it comes to astrotheology. So we're going to look at the houses of the zodiac and how the ancients viewed these things, Okay, how they viewed these... They call them houses for a reason. It's like the, the god inhabits this area of the sky for a time, okay? When we say the sun is in a particular zodiac house or any planet is in a particular zodiac house, it means against the background of stars, okay? If you saw this object, the background of stars behind it would contain this grouping of stars. That's all it means when we say the sun is in Aquarius, the sun is in Pisces, the sun is in Taurus, etc., Okay? It means if we looked at the sun, if we could see the background of stars that it is behind, that is the constellation 
that, that the sun is in front of, that the, the constellation behind it would be whatever that constellation happens to be. So, you know, we looked at the sun and Scorpio was behind it in the, in the sky. The sun is in Scorpio. We viewed the sun and Aquarius happens to be the constellation that is actually behind it in the sky. The sun is in Aquarius. Okay? It's the backdrop of stars that are visually behind the sun. So, the zodiac. What are the houses of the zodiac? Well, we have Aries. Aries is the beginning house of the zodiac, at least in modern times, in the way we look at the zodiacal year. The spring equinox begins just as the sun enters the house of Aries. Okay? So, this is the uh, beginning of the zodiacal year. After Aries, an Aries is a ram, okay? After Aries, we come to Taurus. Taurus is the midpoint of the spring season, okay? Now, these are very important symbolic dates. At the midpoint of Taurus, you have an occult um, day that is the celebratory day for that particular season. There are four of them. They call these Sabbaths. They're at the midpoint of these seasons. Okay? Now, this is a pagan belief system, but uh, this is carried over into all forms of occultism. And particularly, dark occultists observe these days and conduct ritual ceremonies and other uh, dealings during these times of the year. So, in the midpoint of Taurus, which is at the midpoint of the spring season, in the middle, uh, there's three zodiacal houses. There's 12 zodiacal houses total, and there's three houses in each season for a total of four seasons. So the ancients quartered the year into four quadrants. In, in other words, they placed a cross on this zodiacal wheel, okay? And they would symbolically depict the sun on this cross and describe its journey through these four quadrants of the year, which we call the seasons, spring, summer, autumn, and winter. So the sun begins at the spring equinox, passes through the house of Aries, because it is a young lamb, okay? The lamb, the ram, okay? It goes through Aries, enters Taurus, and there it becomes, there the sun becomes a charging bull. All right. Uh, not, not sure we're picking up something. Uh, we're picking up some other audio. All right, looks like that's the intro music. Yep, there it is. Okay, so we'll be right back with more on uh, astrotheology and the explanation of the zodiac and the sun's trek through it in just a moment. Hold on, folks. Did you ever wish that you could have done something while you still had the chance? What will you do if your income ends tomorrow? Or if you lose your home as many already have?
Hey, Mark. Great show, man. Bob, how are you, man? I'm doing well. How are you tonight? Not bad, not bad. A lot better than last week. <laughs> yeah, right? And you yep. got over that thing faster, tell him. Yeah, yeah. It was weird. It was kind of uh, just a couple-hour-long thing, and then it, it passed right away, which is good. Uh, I guess I got make, You make strong you wonder when they spray chemtrails and stuff just a couple of days before or whatever, and you get these weird little kinks, man. Right. I'm trying to keep my immune system uh, strong, you know? Yeah, good, man. Eat, eat healthy, eat the fresh stuff, and... Uh, have have the aloe vera shakes. Uh, if you haven't watched the video I put together on that, you check it out. Yep. Um, listen, um, we're on a break uh, with uh, the Intel Hub News Network, and uh, definitely check out the sponsors over there. I, I don't uh, think that uh, the listeners on your uh, talk show necessarily have to hear it uh, every time. So I wanted to just jump in and say hello real quick. Uh, sure. While you had a few minutes on the break, tell you. I um, apologize for pressing the uh, wrong button there for the last uh, commercial button you have there because uh, you're about to get into some really interesting stuff. And I've been listening um, patiently, uh, you know, to press the wrong button on the board here. Oh, no problem. Fixing, you know, Accidents uh, happen, um, man. Yeah, man, it's, this is human. This is, you know, it's part of the, the realness of, of our radio. Anyway, I'll let you get back to the show, Mark, coming back from break. Take care, man. Thanks, Bob. Okay, we're back after that final break here on what on earth is happening, simulcasting on the Intel Hub News Network. So we were talking about the Zodiac and the sun's journey on it that the ancients symbolically depicted by creating a wheel of the Zodiac houses because it is a band of stars that form a circle in the heavens. And uh, they depicted this symbolically by... um, 
making the houses into a wheel, quartering them into four quadrants by placing a cross upon that wheel, and then um, symbolically placing the sun upon that cross in order to uh, depict and demonstrate the sun's journey through the houses of the zodiac during the course of the year. So I'm in the process of beginning to tell this esoteric story, okay, of what the Christian religion is actually all about, and it is all about astrology. It's about the sun of the sky and its journey in the heavens. Begins in the spring equinox, passes through Aries. Okay? It is still young, like a young lamb. It then comes to Taurus, the midpoint of spring, the mid-house of the spring season. But it is gaining in its strength because the sun is rising in the northern hemisphere. It is coming from its zero point at the spring equinox, in which the angle that the sun makes with respect to the Earth's equator is zero degrees, and it is beginning to come up in power, in strength, in heat, okay, in the northern hemisphere. So it is rising slowly in its angle with respect to the equator in the northern hemisphere. When it's at the midpoint, it has become a charging bull because it is gaining in its strength. Taurus. The midpoint of the house of Taurus is the Sabbath on May 1st, known as Valpurgis Noct. Okay? This is one of the main Sabbaths of the year. In the pagan traditions that basically use astrotheology and zodiacal symbolism. The next house is Gemini, the twins. Okay? When the sun comes into these houses, it is approaching the summer solstice. When it crosses the, the line between Gemini and Cancer, the next house, Cancer the crab, it has come to its highest point when it hits that midpoint between those two houses, it has come to its highest point that it's going to go to in the northern hemisphere of the earth, 23.5 degrees north. This is called the summer solstice, the high point of the sun. That's the beginning of the summer season. So the sun passes then through Cancer the crab until it hits Leo the lion. That's the midpoint of summer. The sun has become a roaring lion the king of beasts with its huge mane representative of the rays of the sun in summer, its strongest season. Okay? The midpoint of Leo is August 1st, which is Lamas. That is the, the midpoint or the, the, the uh, Sabbath of the summer season. Here's where the Christian symbolism begins to come into play. At the end of summer, the sun goes into the house of Virgo. Now, Virgo is the virgin. And again, we just talked about the virgin birth. The reason that 
the houses of Virgo and Leo play into sun symbolism is because thousands of years ago, this is where the spring equinox actually was at. Again, the equinox precesses or moves backwards through the houses of the zodiac. So if we count, we see that over 10,000 years ago, five zodiacal houses, the sun was between Virgo and Leo, almost 6,000 years. Okay, It is now in Pisces. So we're talking about almost on the other side of the zodiac, let's say about a little over 5,000 years ago. This is symbolically depicted by the Sphinx. The Sphinx has the head of a virgin and the body of a lion, depicting that the zodiacal year when the, the Sphinx would look at the spring equinox on the eastern horizon would begin in Virgo and end in Leo. The body being a woman, I'm sorry, the face being a woman and the body being a lion or the tail end of it being a lion. So this is a zodiac in stone at Giza. And there are many others like that throughout the world. Symbolically depicting that the, the sun had one particular head, which was the season that it began the, the year in, and uh, the, the, the body and rear, uh, hind end of it is a completely other animal. Okay? The zodiac representing the animals of the sky, or the, the sky uh, beings in which the mythos of the zodiacal stories are constructed in. The virgin birth, as we talked about, what it really represents, okay, if we understand that the sun has a birth day and a death day in this story, we're coming to that in a moment, let's just keep in mind where Virgo is in this story. So it is at the, it is the sixth of the twelve houses, okay, so Aries is the first, Taurus the second, Gemini the third, Cancer the fourth, Leo the fifth, and then Virgo the sixth house. This is that house through which the sun passes just before it hits the autumn equinox or the fall season. This is the time of the year when the sun, again, is at a zero degree uh, angle with respect to the equator of the earth, yet it is beginning to go down into the southern hemisphere. So it is beginning to fall or descend in its power, okay? To go into the southern hemisphere, in other words. The point where it comes above the southern hemisphere is the spring equinox, and the point where it goes below into the southern hemisphere is the autumn equinox. So this would be around um, uh, September 21st. The sun then enters the house of Libra, which is depicted as the scales. Now, in the time that in the time that um, the sun uh, is in Virgo, it is visually above a constellation known as the Southern Cross when it's beginning to hit this point of the autumn equinox. Okay, the now, it's not in the, 
the constellation of crooks, the Southern Cross. It is above it. Okay, It is above the constellation in the Southern Hemisphere known as crooks, the cross. This is called the Southern Cross. So if you look at the sun while it's in the house of Virgo, okay, if you just look at any... Uh, uh, if you look at any sky globe and you look at the path of the sun as it's entering Virgo, you'll see that below that there is a constellation in the southern hemisphere called Crux, C-R-U-X, the cross in Latin that means. The southern cross, the sun is on or on top of the southern cross at the time it enters. It, it is actually uh, in the house of Virgo and beginning to enter Libra. Okay, so this is the time of the year that the ancients said that the sun was on the cross. Now, it's, that doesn't mean that it's inside the Crooks constellation. The sun, you're not going to see it inside the Crooks constellation, okay, at the equinox. You're going to, you're, uh, going to see it above Crooks, meaning it is on top of the cross, symbolically. So this is the time that the sun was placed on the cross and began to die. Think about this symbolism. It's placed on the cross and it is now in the season where it is declining in its strength and is about to die. Or is dying, beginning the process of dying. Okay? It then passes through Libra and then through Scorpio, the scorpion, the midpoint of autumn. And the midpoint of this season is October 31st. That's known as Sowen or Halloween. Okay, another Sabbath. The midpoint of autumn. Past, now, Scorpio is the time when the sun is really beginning to descend in its strength. Okay, it's made it halfway through the autumn season as approaching its death point at winter at the winter solstice, the lowest it ever goes with respect to the equator. So when it's at Scorpio, it is said to have been stung by the venom of the scorpion, and it is now in rapid decline. The, the power of the sun is now in rapid decline until it hits the constellation Sagittarius, okay? and then finally it hits the winter solstice, which is the lowest point of the sun, the death of the sun symbolically has occurred when the sun is at its lowest point in the southern hemisphere, 23.5 degrees south with respect to the Earth's equator. The ancients said that the sun had now died on the cross of the zodiac. The process of its death began at the autumn equinox when it started falling into the southern hemisphere. Now it's as low as it's going to go in the southern hemisphere, and therefore this is the death point of the sun. Okay. So the sun is at 23.5 degrees south, the lowest it's going to go, its lowest strength, and, and visually, visually, it, it, um, uh, visually the sun um, stops moving with respect to... Getting warm, man. You know I'm in Gainesville, man, up here. It's getting into low teens tonight. Hold on one second, folks. We're getting some audio uh, crossover here.
Okay. So uh, I see, hold on, I see that Bob says we have a caller. All right, we have a few minutes left. Um, I am going to, uh, I'll take this call and we'll get, we'll finish up this uh, story of the sun on the Zodiac uh, next week. So, uh, Bob, if you can hear me, uh, if you want to put the caller through who called in the blog talk, we'll, we'll take that right now. Hey, uh, Hello, Mark. Can you hear me, Mark? Yes. Is the caller, right. caller uh, are you there? Well, I thought it's all messed up, but you have Bob in Cincinnati on the line. He wanted to say hello as usual. He's uh, listening usually. Uh, okay, no problem. Right. So we, 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 lost, we lost him. mute and uh, was yakking over your show. I had a personal call. But go right ahead, Bob in Cincinnati. There we go. Hi. Hello. Can you, uh, can you hear me, guys? Yes. How are you doing, Bob? Good, Mark. I don't. I, I hate to interrupt again. You're on a roll, and I'm interrupting. I apologize to the archive people who listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. I apologize. I just want to say how important all this stuff is, Mark, to the everyday person like me, the layman, who this might seem a bit tedious. Now, I'm not trying to take play, Mark, but, but it, it is desperately important, and I'm going to tell people why. These dirt are called this use, and I'm quoting Mark Passio, the 12 bands of the Zodiac as means to imprison us further in their matrix of control. Now, I'm heading the matrix of control, but they used, Mark's quote, is they used the Zodiac as 12 opportunities to imprison us. They calculate the most opportune moment, moments uh, of time using the stars, i.e. against us, and Mark, what he is doing is helping us take back that knowledge. Uh, thank you again, Mark. I find myself thanking you for what you're doing and what you're speaking about. Uh, and also, you mentioned the uh, uh, festival of Selen or Selen. Uh, yes. There's also a witch's festival known as Walpurgis Nacht, and I'm yes. hoping you could comment on that in a future show. Thank you, Mark, for all that you do. You got it, Bob. Thanks. Thanks so much. And Bob, you're you're never interrupting here. Feel free to call in at any time, as should anyone else who has uh, something to contribute. Um, uh, we have unlimited amounts of time because we'll just pick this up next week like we always do you know we uh go through it until the the time is up for for the show like it is uh rapidly approaching now we have about a minute left in the show and then we pick up next week so not a problem at all um we will continue with this story of the zodiac and the sun upon it uh when we uh, uh get together next week here at the same time on what on earth is happening uh, Bob, I want to thank you. And yes, I, I briefly mentioned Valpurgisnacht, which is the uh, the Sabbath at the midpoint of spring. It is the high point of the uh, dark occult year. And uh, we'll talk about what that means on another show when we get into some of the uh, 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 aspects of dark occultism when it comes to uh, the solar cult. So that's all we have time for here tonight on What on Earth is Happening, folks. I'm your host, Mark Passio. The website, whatonearthishappening.com. The network, the Intel Hub News Network.com. I'll see you here next Tuesday night. Good night, everyone.